the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas. And uh, Coach Penders joining us now. Tom Penders, University of Texas, the legendary coach. Coach, great to have you on. I, you know, I just, the news on Lance Blanks, uh, so tragic, so awful. And, uh, but I thought of you, I thought of those teams that we love so much. And I know you've got some great memories of Lance. Uh, but it's great to have you on the show, Coach. Well, thanks, Matt. It's great to be with you. Yeah, and I just as we as we kind of celebrate uh, Lance's life and think back on him, that BMW teams. I mean, it was an amazing run. I just think of him uh, and and hitting those threes and everything. What have you over these last few days? I'm sure you've just kind of been flooded with memories, and you've probably heard from everybody. What's the what's been kind of the overall tenor of some of those conversations? Well. We had a, a Zoom call uh, with his teammates uh, and anybody that we could reach out to. You know, uh, Joey Wright is over in Australia where he ended his playing career and then he became a coach over there in the Pro League over there, the NBL. Uh, and he's done extremely well. And he he owns a basketball training center. Basketball has become a real popular sport over there. And there are many guys now from Australia and the NBA. Joey was from uh, Australia. We had Jose Nassar, who was a senior in my first year, which was uh, 88, 89. And we kind of shocked everybody by winning 25 games and upsetting Georgia Tech, a very good Georgia Tech, but team with Dennis Scott and Tommy Hammond, Dwayne Farrell, you know, three NBA players that uh, had good careers in the NBA. But, you know, we won that game, then we got beat by a very good, strong Missouri team in the second round. Uh, But anyway, we talked. You know, we were all sad. And Mm -hmm. I was in a state of shock on Sunday before this call. Uh, And, you know, it started out with one player, then another player uh, talking. And we had about 20 people all together and managers who, you know, were part of our team, guys who knew Lance, who played maybe before I got there, uh, who knew him, like Carlton Cooper, who was a, a leader and a captain before I got to Texas. Uh, he was part of that phone call. Uh, then, you know, you had Jose from Brazil. One of the time everybody expressed, you know, their love for Lance and their sadness over what happened. And nobody knew. Nobody could figure out why. And then after a while, I think it was Travis Mays who stepped up and delivered a a great message to the team about how we were all blessed to know him and love him. And that Lance was always helping other people. He was that way as a player. He was loved by his teammates and coaches. 
Uh, anybody that knew Lance personally, he, he just had that personality, and you know, he was the kind of guy that everybody leaned on. You know, I, I've gone through some things with back surgery and uh, you know the COVID thing, and then I finally got it this this uh, past March while I was in Texas visiting my son and grandkids in Clear Lake near Houston. And then my wife and I drove to Austin when, where we have a condominium. And by the time we got to Austin, I was still testing positive. And then my doctors back here in Miami where I live now, um, they wanted me back. So my wife drove 18 straight hours to get me back here. But we all had our, you know, Lance was, Lance, we talked every week, um, you know, all the way through the season and into the playoffs. And even during the NCAA tournament, we communicated either text or talk. Mm -hmm. And he was always concerned about me. He would call my wife, Susie, if I didn't pick up my phone. Yeah. Is Coach okay? That's how he was with everybody. Uh, he, Coach, did he? Did he? His he... father. He yeah. His dad. I mean, I saw his dad play. I grew up in Connecticut near the New York border and saw him play against the New York Jets and then had the opportunity to meet him and get to know him uh, before he came down with Parkinson's and and all that. But I know what Lance went through with that. And, you know, most of his teammates did too. But, but that phone call lifted everybody. By the end of it, it was a two-hour phone call. Everybody had a chance to talk and say what they wanted to say. I was uplifted. And, I, you know, I stopped. I stopped the, you know, the, I wouldn't say mourning because it's on my mind all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just a tough thing to deal with the people yeah. who knew him. Well, he's a, he was a fantastic guy. And I remember talking to Tom mm -hmm. Penders on the Matt Mosley show, ESPN Central Texas, the legendary Texas coach. Coach, what was it, the jump stop? That, that those guys were able to do. It was almost the first time many of us had seen that in college basketball. Lance was great at it. I mean, he could yeah. jump anywhere on the court, really, and he had range. I mean, we think of Steph Curry as the first guy that could shoot it from a long distance. The, your guys could shoot it from a long distance. Where did that... Um, where did Lance get that from? Was that something that, that you were teaching and you and some of your assistants were teaching your players, or did they arrive doing that type of thing? Uh, I learned that back in the 1960s. I was playing professionally. I was coaching a high school basketball team in Connecticut playing in the New England Basketball Association. They didn't have any. CBA or, uh, you know, G League at that time. I was playing professional baseball with the Cleveland Indians. I played A and double A my first year and was ready to play more, but I coached the high school team 
And I started you know, watching the professional players at a fairly young age. I saw Earl Monroe um, against the New York Knicks playing for the Baltimore Bullets. That's the Wizards now. And he just destroyed the Knicks. And this was before you could tape or replay anything. Uh, you had to have a camera, uh, all these things. And I just studied Earl. And every time he came into the paint, whether he was going to his left or his right, he ended up on two feet. And he would either spin back to his left or his right. And he either scored or got fouled. I mean, he rarely missed when he got, you know, inside 17, 18 feet. He wasn't really a three-point shooter. They didn't have the three-point shot back in the 60s. So I just copied him on my own. I never saw or heard about the jump stop. So I started teaching that to my high school kids. And then my first college job up at Tufts University uh, near Boston, and then at Columbia, then at Fordham, then at Rhode Island. Then I moved down to Texas in 1988 and taught that to all my guards and forwards who would, you know, were able to put the ball on the floor and get to the paint from the perimeter. Now you see, and I even taught this to Shaquille O'Neal when he was in the summer, I think it was 1990. He was from San Antonio. He worked my summer camp or he'd come up and speak. And in those days, you couldn't have your own players work your own camp. So I would send a couple of players to Dale Brown and he would send me a couple and Shaquille uh, you know, he, he was great when he when he was going to his right. He came to that two point stop and threw that little baby hook or jump hook, whatever you want to call it, and he was deadly with it. That was that was his main offensive weapon. When I took over at Houston uh, back in uh, 2004, they got Shaquille O'Neal direct on the radio. And he wanted to, he called the University of Houston and he congratulated me. And then he he talked about, I learned the jump stop from Tom Penders. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it it shocked everybody in the Southeast (laughs) Conference at that time. The coaches, you know, my opponents, Nolan Richardson and I, you know, despite all the back and forth, we, you know, we wanted to get in the newspapers. We were trying to promote our programs and, and our league. Nolan picked up on it and, you know, asked me, you know, how did you teach it? What did you do? And then all of a sudden, Lee Mayberry and all his best players are all doing the jump stop. <laughs> but, the, but we had to put a clinic on before every game for the referees. And then the national supervisor, <laughs> national supervisor Hank Nichols, and Ed Stites, I believe it was at that time. Hank was still officiating. Um, you know, he he said yes, that's legal, as long as the guy takes off on one foot and lands on two. Now, after he lands, 
he can't take another step. He's either got to shoot it or pass it. Uh, if you dribble into it, you know, with your right hand, if you're righty and you're going into the paint from left to right, and then you pick up your dribble with both feet on the ground, then you can pivot, spin around. I mean, I see uh, Jimmy Butler from Miami doing that on almost every drive he takes. He picks up his dribble. He hasn't established a pivot foot yet, and all of a sudden he spins back to the left, fadeaway jumper, boom, it's in. Uh, it's unguardable. So anyway, I brought it to, with all the teams that played for me, and then everybody started using it. I, to see it in the NBA now, you know, every time I see guys doing it, brings back memories. But Lance and Travis and Joey Wright, you know, great players want to be coached. They, they want to get better. You know, they don't come with an attitude of, I know it all. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I know everything. I played AAU ball here or there and, you know, nobody gets taught anything in AAU ball other than competition and getting to know the talent around the country. And they play summer league ball or maybe maybe before school starts, et cetera, all the way through now, which was against Texas rules when I got there in 88. And I helped change that, too, uh, with my son. He was a 15-year-old uh, when we moved to Texas, and and he had played at the famous five-star camps, and he worked the canteen one week and played the next week. Um, I wanted to send him there, and there was a rule in the UIL that after July 1st, no Texas kids could go out of state to a basketball camp. You know, I had to threaten a lawsuit, but I got to know, you know, some of the people with the UIL and uh, <laughs> Charles, Bright, Charles Brightup, who I think is still with the UIL, uh, and the Bailey Marshall was ahead of it. You know, they understood. And then the coaches voted on it, and the UIL. Uh, you know, I, it was kind of designed, according to the old-timers that I knew, uh, in the basketball world in Texas and got to know it was to keep kids from playing basketball in the summertime. Yeah. So they'd play football. Yeah. <laughs> why, you don't, you don't see many six, seven, six, eight kids playing football anymore. They're, yeah. they're playing basketball, even six, five guys, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just well, a fact. You look around yeah. the NFL, there were all big tight ends back in the 60s, 70s, and the early 80s. Well, you know, well six, I, seven, uh, six, you know I, I thought about you during that Elite Eight run recently that Rodney Terry had because it kind of reminded me, you know, some of your great teams, Benford, Panama Myers, all those guys, that team that beat Xavier in that famous game. Um, that I bet that brought back some memories. Uh, did you did you have a good yeah. time watching watching this Texas team uh, make that pretty deep run? Yes, and I was communicating with Lance. Um, you know, when that 
unfortunate thing happened with Chris Beard and Rodney took over um, after a few games when Texas didn't seem to miss a beat. They had a, you know, a senior laden team, a veteran ball club that had been put together, you know, with Rodney self and kids wanting to play for Chris and wanting to come to the university of Texas. It all works together. Rodney did a marvelous job and he, he didn't change anything. You know, he didn't mess with the formula they had. And it's, it's an extremely tough situation for a coach and Lance and, and Rodney were real close because they had gone to um, Africa, you know, to, to, to run clinics all over Africa with the, uh, basketball without borders started by Bob mm-hmm. Lanier years ago, the yeah. Hall of Fame center. And Rodney and, and uh, Lance went together. Mainly NBA guys go, but, you know, Rodney and Lance developed a friendship. And we talked about it. And, you know, he's the analyst and everything. And he's like, Coach, you did some radio. I, I did radio for the New York Knicks. I was like the sub. Uh, for John Andres, who would go to ESPN on Saturday nights, and our conference, uh, the MAC up in the Northeast, we played every Saturday afternoon. There were no Saturday night games. Well, I became, you know, you do the pro game, it's a fast game, it's uh, 24 seconds and all that. You learn what to say and, you know, how to get your message in there without stepping on the play-by-play guy. And I worked with some legendary announcers while I did that. And, you know, I had told Lance that years ago. And then when he comes back, you know, and works for the Spurs and does that, uh, you know, he always, he dreamed of, I had each, each kid fill out a form. And then when I had a one-on-one meeting, we talked about his family, uh, how many brothers and sisters, et cetera. And I've kept the file of, of these of these things over the years. Lance put down, you know, he he wanted to he wanted to be an all-conference player. He wanted to uh, help lead us to a deep run in the NCAA tournament because in those days, you know, nobody came out early. Shaquille O'Neal played three years at LSU. I mean, today he'd probably play three minutes in college basketball if he played it at all. (laughs) It's a different world today. So it was real tough. I mean, it was real tough to advance and dream about Final Fours. But, you know, you're going against Lottery picks, oh, yeah. the deeper you get into the tournament. But anyway, Lance put that down. Then he said he wanted to be a first-round draft choice. Um, he wanted to um, play for a great NBA team, be part of success at that level. And then if he finished early, he wanted to play ball in Europe and save all his money so that he could get married and raise a family. And then his dream was to become a college basketball analyst. 
It's eerie when I look at that. Yeah. This this man lived out every dream he had when he was 20 years old. And, wow. and not many not many people including me came close to my lifetime dreams, you know, if I was when I was 20 years old. We yeah. all have we all have dreams of something. Whether yeah. it's when we're growing up, you may have been wanting to do exactly what you're doing now and hats off to you and that that brings ha- true happiness. Mm-hmm. But you know, you never know what goes on. Lance was great at covering up things. It might have been an illness. Yeah. Uh, it could have been a tumor. You know, because I never saw Lance distraught. And we were talking about, you know, how do we help Rodney Terry? He's doing such a great job. Uh-huh. And I gave him some advice, and I thought he handled it perfectly well. You know, you can't be up there in the booth saying, well, they got to hire Rodney Terry right now because the people that do the hiring, you know, the board of regents and the presidents and the athletic directors, you know, they're not going to listen to you. And they'll probably tune you out if you're telling them what to do. That's just the way it is. But Lance handled it beautifully and professionally. And then I told them, I said, look, if we get to the Sweet 16, it's a done deal. There's no way. You know, Texas hadn't been to a Sweet 16 since 2009. And, you know, that's a lot of time for a top 25 program. And, you know, Rodney helped make it happen. And Texas did the right thing by hiring Rodney Terry and giving him a good shot. But I told Lance, if if the team plays well and they play hard and they have a good season, Rodney's auditioning on one of the biggest stages in America to be the head coach of, of, a, of a great program. And the team didn't fall apart. He's kept them together. They're playing hard. They mm-hmm. love them. They, they listen to them. They're disciplined. And that's what happened. And they get to the Elite Eight. And unfortunately, I got COVID. Yeah, <laughs> but I was I was happy as hell. I mean, I wasn't I, I wasn't unconscious or anything. I was able to yeah. watch it. And Lance and I were texting each other. And, yeah, and and all that. Uh, well, I tell you, so it's anyway, just. Yeah, it's just it's so tough to have to, you know, to say goodbye to someone way too yep. young. But uh hey, thanks for taking the time. Uh Coach Penders, uh just I always think about you. Anytime Texas basketball something happens, I I think about you and think about what you're thinking out there. So great to visit with you and uh I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you very much, Matt. It's it's great to talk about a wonderful human being. And the team he played for. Yes. Yes, you bet. There he goes. Coach Tom Penders, a Texas Hall of Famer, a Hall of Famer uh, uh, across the uh, country, uh, joining us on the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas.